Again, glad that you're here today. We want to encourage you. Take a look around. What an awesome crowd we have today. Uh, we want to see this thing continue to keep growing. So we want to encourage you. Invite somebody. Invite somebody to join you. Have them meet you here. Pick them up. Bring them here. Notice on your table, then at that little table at the back, there's a bunch of wooden nickels. Uh, grab a handful of those wooden nickels, and as you go through the course of the week, just be passing them out, asking people, hey, join us Thursday in our men's power lunch. There's a whole bunch of those to pass out. Uh, next week, we're going to have ribeye steaks. And so we ought to see this thing double next week. want to encourage folks, hey, uh, join us next Thursday. We're going to come. We're going to have a steak, and then we're going to come in, in, as God's men and hear God's word. So we're looking forward to that. There's caps back there that have been out there the last few weeks. Those caps are $10 a piece. When those are all sold, uh, the money from that will pay for three weeks of our men's lunch. So help yourself to those. Again, those are $10 there in the back. Today in our men's power lunch, we're going to keep looking at uh, our study a man after God's own heart. And we have been looking at the life of King David, who, uh, as, as amazing as it is, God himself calls a man after his own heart. And our goal in these five weeks, we're going to wrap it up next week, uh, but our goal is to see what it looks like to be a man after God's own heart, to see what that truly means to be a man after God's own heart, and then to really consider could that ever be said of us? Was there ever a time uh, that God could say, that guy right there, that one right there, the way he lives his life, what we see in him, that right there is a man after my own heart. And so again, we're looking at that the last uh, four weeks today, including then moving to our next week, last week. Now, so far, if you've been here through the course of this, uh, we started off and we saw that a wicked world, and man, look around today at the world we're living in, but a wicked world needs Godly men. Just this week, you watch the news again and you see all the chaos and all the mess going on in our world. Our world today needs godly men to stand and say, this is what God has said in his word. This is who I am as a, a follower of Jesus Christ. And this is how I will lead my wife and how I will lead my kids, how I will serve in my church. The world, a wicked world, needs godly men. It was true back then. It's true today as well. Then we saw... Now, being a man after God's own heart truly is a matter of the heart. Sometimes we think, well, it's, it's something else. It is a, truly a matter of the heart. It's not what the world wants in a man. It's not what the world deems is popular in a man. It's for sure not what is politically correct today, but it is a matter of our heart. The Bible tells us very clearly God weighs the heart. Man judges the outside but God observes and he judges the heart. If you're going to be a man after God's own heart, it is truly a matter of your heart. Then we saw last week that God's man, this man, God's man, he knows who God is, and that's really the starting place. He knows who God is, and because he knows who God is, he's able to trust in God. If God says, do this, I know who he is, I trust him. And so he lives in this wicked world, and he lives in, in the purpose of his life, and this is a, a huge thing, is that the world would know there is a God in Israel. And you look, that's, that's the key to David's life. Uh, I want to live in a way that the world would know there is a God in Israel. Remember the account last week? He comes, and he, he comes up against Goliath, and we looked at that account. And remember he comes, and everybody else is scared. Everybody else is shrinking back. And he walks up, and he knows who his God is, and he knows who, what his God has done. And he looks and says, who is this Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? 
And he says, you know what, I, I want to get up and I want my life, I want every breath to be that the world would know there is a God in Israel. Today for us as Christians, and I'm talking to us here in this room, you know what, our desire ought to be to live in a way, to carry out the course of our life in a way that a lost and dying and dark world would have no doubt that we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living no matter what men may say. Our heart's longing ought to be that when they see me, when they see how I live, how I think, how I respond, that they would know, you know what, there is a Savior and his name is Jesus Christ. Our lives are to point to Jesus. And we look at David, I want to tell you it's the same thing. Boldly, clearly, precisely, bravely, our lives are to point to Jesus Christ. Today, as we move forward in our study, a man after God's own heart, it is a very interesting day. And I think it's a pretty awesome day that God doesn't say, well, I'll just set this day out that we're not going to see the truth. Here in this day, we see David's great problem. <coughs> now, we know that David was a great man. And to put this in perspective, 62 chapters in the Old Testament are the testimony, are given to the testimony of the life of King David. Can you imagine that? Here is God's word. 62 chapters in the Old Testament are given to the account, the testimony of the life of David. 59 times in the New Testament, it talks about David. Now, can you imagine that? 59 times in the, in the New Testament, it talks about King David. Today, he is still called the greatest king of all of Israel. And so we know this is an absolutely great man. He is bold. He is brave. He is a man of character. And really, when you look at how he lived, his character was shaped by God. This is a man who is obedient. He, he listens to God, but not only does he listen to God, he obeys God. This is what God says, then we're going to step out in faith. This is a man that possessed a great faith in God because he knew who he was. He had a great trust in God. This was a man, and you, and you read the account, who leads a nation to honor God. You see, the nation of Israel had a hard time staying hitched. The nation of Israel had a hard time staying focused. This is a man who says, we're going to follow the living God. He leads a nation to honor God. This is a man called a man after God's own heart. But this man has a great problem. And it is my problem, and it is your problem as well. And it is the problem of sin. This man, the man after God's own heart, has a sin problem. We read the biblical account. The Bible says David replaces Saul as king. We read that account. He, David shows some great character as that, as that transpires. Uh, David shows great obedience to what God is leading and what God has said for the nation of Israel. Because of that, the nation of Israel is firmly established. Uh, you read the account, you're moving through 1 Samuel, move to 2 Samuel. Uh, they defeat the Philistines. Here are these pagans in the land. They defeat the Philistines. They defeat the Amorites. Uh, the kingdom of Israel is firmly established. It is a great time in the life of Israel. David is revered. Everybody talks about David. He's a big deal. And it's, it's a great time for the nation. It's also a great time for David. And then there's this account 
And sometimes when you look at it, you think, how does, how does this match up? But here's this account in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And I'm going I'm to kind of summarize the account. But 2 Samuel chapter 11 says that the fighting men go out to war. And one evening, David is on his rooftop and he sees a woman, Bathsheba. You know her name. Says that she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Very quickly, it makes it clear. Her name is Bathsheba, but she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And the Bible tells us he sends some messengers to go and get her. Now they, they go and they get her, and that day he sleeps with her. He commits adultery with the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Um, she goes home. The Bible says she returns back to her house. Uh, sometime later, she sends word to David that she has become pregnant. Uh, you may know the account after that. He's, he's in turmoil, and he, he has to cover that up. And so he, he sends for Uriah the Hittite, and they bring him off the, the front lines, and he comes back, and he says, I want to report on the general. I want to report on how the battle is going. And he comes and says, give me a report. He gives him a report, and he says, now go clean up, wash up, and go home. Now, his hope was that he would go home and he would be with his wife and he'd be able to say, well, it's not my child she's pregnant with. It was Uriah the Hittite. That could never happen if he had stayed in battle. So he has this, this plan. You come and give me an account. He doesn't care about the account. Clean up and go home. The Bible says of Uriah the Hittite, he was such a man of character that he said this, the army of the living God is in the field and I will not go home. And so he sleeps on the doorstep of the king's palace. Now, can you imagine? He says, he calls David, my servant David, my servant David. And he says, you know what? I, my, my God's army is out in battle, and I'm not going home. And he sleeps there in the porch of the palace. Well, the next night, the story continues. David's upset. He doesn't go home. His plan's not working. So he has Uriah the Hittite, and he has him come again this evening and now he has a big feast cooked for him. And they have a bunch of wine and he intentionally gets the man drunk. All right, he's drunk and he, you go home now and you're intoxicated. And for sure he'll, he'll sleep with his wife. And then this, this plan will take hold and it won't be able to be attributed to me. Bible says again, even drunk. Uriah the Hittite, the army of the living gods in the field. I'm going to stay here. And he sleeps in the doorway of the king's palace. David is plotting. David is covering up his sin. Upon this point, he says, you know what? This isn't going to work. And so he sends a note to the general by a messenger. And it says, take Uriah the Hittite and send him to the front line of the fiercest battle with the fiercest action going on. Send him up there. And then when the time is, is right and the battle's raging on, withdraw from him that he might be killed. And that's the order of King David to the general about Uriah, this, this honorable man, Uriah the Hittite. We see here David is a liar. He is a deceiver. He is an adulterer. Uh, this man, this good man, Uriah the Hittite, he seeks to honor God. And the word comes back in a couple days, comes back to King David. Your servant, Uriah the Hittite, is dead. The count tells us he's killed by, by the archer's arrows there in battle. Bathsheba mourns, the Bible says. A little bit later, he cut, she comes and she moves in with David. She becomes his wife. The Bible says they had a son. The last of verse of the chapter 11, verse 27 says this. 
And when the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife, and then she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. Here's the first thing we see today, and understand this. Sin is evil. Sin is absolutely wicked. It's against the will of God. It's a slanderous, rebellious act towards God. Sin is despicable, and sin is evil before God. Now, now also see this. It is evil before God, but sin also has a ripple effect. He stands on a rooftop, and he sees a woman. He lusts in his heart. See how it starts to move. Well, I'll have her brought up here. It's not going to hurt anybody. She becomes pregnant. Well, I'll, I'll devise this scheme. We'll cover it up. It doesn't work. I'll have him killed. Now he's dead in battle. We've got it covered up. She's my wife and I'll move on. Listen to me. Sin always carries a ripple effect. Now, what that means is this. Sin hurts God. Sin hurts you. But sin hurts other people. And we've gotten pretty good at saying, you know what? It's no big deal. No, nobody's ever going to know. If I don't get caught, it's not going to be a big deal. Listen, sin always ripples out and it hurts other people. Whole thing that we just talked about takes over a year. And after a year, we have this account in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Years passed. Now listen to this. <clears throat> then the Lord sent Nathan. Nathan is the prophet of God. He's the one that speaks God's word to the people. He speaks it to David. David knew him very well. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to the king, came to David and he said to him, here's, an, here's a story. Listen to me, David. Here's what I need to tell you. There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had great many flocks and herds. This man has cattle. This man has goats. This man has sheep. He had many flocks and many herds. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought. See, this other one, his herds are producing. He's having new lambs every day. He doesn't even know the herd's increasing. This poor man, he went and he bought the ewe lamb. And he nourished it. He cared for it. You know, we don't have a lot of eat around here, but I'm going to make sure the lamb grows up. And it grew up together with him and his children. And it would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and it would lie in his bosom. He loved this ewe lamb. He cherished this ewe lamb. And it was like a daughter to him. See the value that he gives this one little ewe lamb. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man. Now when a, when a traveler would come, it was your job to feed him. Somebody passes by, they stop at your gate, they come into your house. It's your duty and it's your honor to feed that man. Now, a traveler came to the, to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock and his own herd. You know what? I'm not going to kill a lamb for this guy. I'm not going to kill a goat for this guy. I'm not going to bother my own flocks to prepare for the wayfarer who had, cut, who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe. Now, I think it's interesting here that it's a ewe. You see, there was a hope that one day that ewe would become pregnant. And his future was tied to that you. You know what, I, I love this lamb and I bought this lamb and I've cared for this lamb. But you know what, there's the hope that one day I'm going to have a herd. My future is tied to this you. Rather, he took the poor man's you lamb and he prepared it for the man who had come to him. 
kills the man's lamb, he cooks it, he gives it to the stranger who's at his gate. His herds are out there in the pasture. Nathan comes, he tells this account to King David. Verse five, King David says, then David's anger burned against this man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan then said to David, you are the man. I'm going to show you very quickly some things here about David's great problem of sin. Now listen to this very quickly today. Because of sin, his reputation is diminished. I'm going to point out a couple quick things. Because of sin, his reputation is diminished. Now I want you to think about this. His whole nation, all of his generals, all of his army, they see a man of valor. They see a man that doesn't shrink back. They see a man of God says something, he does it. They see a great man of character. You know what? He, he in the cave could have butchered Saul, but instead he honors God says, I'll not lift my hand to the Lord's anointing. Here's a man of character. Here's a man of valor. Here's a godly, godly leader. And they would tell the stories of King David. You remember when he did that? You remember when our army was here and he led it? You remember when we wiped out these people because God said that would be what would happen that day? And they would tell the stories of King David. Now think about this. What do you think the messengers thought who went to get Bathsheba? Go and get her for me. That's my king. That's, that's the man of valor. That's the man of character. Go get, go get her. And they bring her back and they bring her into the palace and they leave her with him. What do you think those guys began to think in their heart, tell their friends? What, what do you think about the servants that cooked the meal and served the wine as Uriah, the Hittites there, and they, they see something's not right here and then he's trying to get him drunk and, and what do you think they start to be the rumor there? What do you think about Joab, the, the general who, who receives the letter? You know what, my king is an honorable man and God has blessed him and he's led our nation to honor God and he gets a letter saying, you know what, take this man, your servant. Take him to the front and let him die there in battle. What does the general think? What about the people on the day of the battles? They march and they're fighting. And here's this man, Uriah, the Hittite, who's a man of character. And he's fighting for his nation. And he's fighting for his king. And they say, hey, guys, quietly, come on back up. What do you think those guys think? And they watch an arrow come and strike Uriah, the Hittite. And now he is dead. People begin to see David a whole lot differently. The truth is this, listen to me. You cannot handle sin. You cannot operate in sin and not be brought down by sin. See, sometimes we think, well, people are gonna overlook it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get by with this. Listen to me. If you handle and dwell in sin, you will be stained by sin. There is a stain from sin. First thing, because of his sin, his reputation is diminished. Second thing is this, because of sin, his life is disrupted. Because of sin, his life is disrupted. Now, this goes on over the course of this year. I want you to think about this year that he just walked through. Instead of being about his normal business, instead of living his life, he's the king of Israel. Instead of living his life, instead of enjoying his life, instead of doing the things that he normally would have done, He's consumed in guilt. Because of his sin, he has a silent shame. 
that he has to go to bed with. And he may distract himself for a while. He may find something that will turn his attention somewhere else for a while. But you know what? The night always comes. He lies there in the dark and there's a knot in the pit of his stomach. Instead of being the man of character that he once was, now he's a liar and he knows it. And he has to tell another lie to cover up the previous lie. And the man that one time would listen and obey God, he knows that he's in there in his bed and he's conceiving the evil deed. This is how we'll kill him. He plots the murder of an honorable man and his life becomes nothing like what it was. More than that, it becomes nothing like what it could have been. And in sin, his life is turned upside down. Listen to me. You cannot embrace sin. You cannot be involved in sin. You cannot participate in sin and your life not be dismantled. Your life not be disrupted. You cannot be involved in sin. Your life not be impacted. And I'll just tell you, it always, always, always escalates. A little bit turns into a little bit more. A little bit turns into a little bit more. I've got to lie now to cover it up. And I've got to lie my, my wife won't know. And I've got to lie my boss won't know. And, and I've got to do this now to cover up that. And, and the shell game becomes bigger and it becomes faster. Your life will be dismantled if you dwell and handle sin. David's life looked nothing like what it was going to look like. Because of sin, his reputation is diminished. Because of sin, his life is disrupted. Because of sin his vision becomes distorted. Because of sin, his vision, man, he once had a clear vision, his vision is distorted. Now look at this account. Year later, he's living in turmoil. Year later, it looks like he's got it all together and, and his, his new wife's there in the house. A man looks like it's turned out for him, but he lives with this knot in his stomach. He lives with the, with the stain of sin and he, he sits here and he hears the account of the poor man. And his heart breaks for the poor man. He feels for the plight of the poor man. And his anger burns against the rich man. Who would take a lamb like that? Yet all those lambs out there, why would you take this man's lamb? And his heart burns, his anger burns against this rich man. Who would do such a man? And he's the one who killed his own loyal servant and took his wife. And he says of a man who would steal a lamb, who would do such a thing? And his heart burns in anger, and he says, Surely as the Lord lives, this man deserves to die. You know what? Because of his sin, he could no longer see himself. And so the prophet, the man of God, comes and he says, You are that man. Today, we come in here to eat and we come in here on a men's lunch and I'll just tell you our nature, our culture today, what's accepted today, we come in here and we want to overlook sin. And today the world that we live in, we start teaching our little kids this and we see it in our, in our politicians, our government, we see it in our, our way of doing business and we see it in our society. We want to explain away sin. We say, well, that's the product of how they're raised. How could they have ever been any different? Well, it must be somebody else's fault. It's their parents' fault or somebody else's fault. It's not their fault. We want to explain away sin. And then more than that, we start to accept sin. You know what? That's not that big of a deal. And that's not that grievous. And we want to be okay with sin. And you look around today, and I'm going to be very honest today. Nobody today is preaching a whole lot about sin. 
And the general idea is you can't grow a church if you're going to talk about sin and nobody's going to feel good and come eat your enchiladas if you preach about sin. And yet the truth is this, listen to me. I am that man. You are that man. For a man that God could use, for a man who would lead his wife and lead his little kids, for a man to be called a man after God's own heart, listen to me today, it is time to own up to sin. It's time to call sin, sin. It's time to say, you know what, I'm a sinner, I have sinned. More than that, it's time to, to admit, you know what, I haven't just had this sin, I've got many sins. I'm a sinner at my core. And I want to tell you, my sins, the deeds of my sins are absolutely evil. They're not somebody else's fault. They're my fault. They're not something we ought to learn to accept. They're repulsive in the sight of God, and that's my sin. When I sin, I'm opposed to a holy God. And our hearts ought to break over sin. We ought to sit here and say, God, I'm so sorry over my sin, God. I wish I'd have never said the thing that I said. I wish I'd have never done the thing that I did. I wish I'd have never gone the places that I went. God, I'm so sick of my sin, we own our sin. I'm going to tell you this. The only right thing I see so far that David says, is he says the man deserved to die. The New Testament book of Romans, it says this. The wages of sin is death. It still stands. Let me tell you this. I am a sinner. I am that man. You are a sinner. You are that man, and your sin has disrupted your life. Your sin has hurt the lives of other people. Your sin has brought to you a great stain. But I want to tell you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. We have a remedy for sin. His name is Jesus. And you're sitting here and you're so sick of your sin. You're so sick of the people you've hurt. You're so sick of the rebellion that you've marched out against the holy God. And Jesus says, if you'll but confess your sin, if you'll repent of those sins, I will forgive you and you'll be clean as the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Our hope today is in our Savior, Jesus. I am that man. You are that man. But our hope stands in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Let's pray. During Father, we come, and I'm thankful for you today. I'm thankful that as I have sinned against the Holy God, as I stand and I have dismantled and disrupted the course of my life, as I've injured people, I didn't even know I was hurting, as the pain of my sin affects other people, and I stand as a stained sinner. I'm thankful anew for my Savior, Jesus, that through the work of His cross, through the blood of Calvary, I am deemed the righteousness, the purity of Jesus Christ. I rejoice in that. I pray now for men in this room that we would understand sin is a real thing and sin is our responsibility. Sin is our rebellion and sin has brought us the curse and the punishment of death. But through Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. Only through Jesus Christ, we have the forgiveness of sins. I pray for some men in this room today that sick of their sin, that they would today embrace our Savior, Jesus, today. They might be saved today. I pray for us today here who are saved that we would have a renewed understanding of the repulsiveness of sin 
and the glory of a risen Savior, the Lamb of God, come to take away the sins of a world. We praise you. We worship you. We thank you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.